Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 265, my guest is Deverta. Now, Deverta has been doing some guides on various things like how to do mining at home and also how to host things yourself at home. And so, in this episode, we talk about this concept of becoming Uncle Jim, the guy who provides some of that infrastructure for your family and friends. And this goes beyond just Bitcoin. Obviously, Bitcoin is part of that. You can run the full node that your family and friends call into. But here we're also talking about other things that give you and your family some more digital self-sovereignty or potentially some privacy and running your own password manager or your own other infrastructure. So that's what we get into for this episode. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Greetings, Stefan Levera fans. This is Dread here, and I have some big news to share. Swan Bitcoin's new private client services division is open for business. So last August, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor kicked off the trend of companies buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. A flood of high-profile investors and companies have joined him. Names like Paul Tudor Jones, BlackRock, Square, and Tesla. Swan Private exists to meet the massive international demand from thousands of companies, family offices, and high net worth investors from all around the globe. If you're thinking of buying between 100,000 and 100 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next year, visit swanbitcoin.com private. That's swanbitcoin.com private. Fill out the onboarding form or email the CEO personally, corey at swanbitcoin.com. That's C-O-R-Y at swanbitcoin.com. Respect fans and one love. Lend at HodlHodl is a non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend and borrow globally and anonymously. If you've got stablecoins, you can lend them and earn attractive returns. HodlHodl's lending allows you to earn 25% APR on average, one of the highest returns on the market. Also, if you have Bitcoins and you need liquidity with fiat stablecoins, you can use the Lend platform for this also, and your Bitcoin collateral is always locked in escrow, so you're not trusting one individual party. Lend at HodlHodl is a Bitcoin DeFi, allowing peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between its users. So with this platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Compass is an online marketplace, making it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. Compass is the anti-cloud mining option where you can buy your own ASIC and secure hosting at great facilities around the world that Compass have gone and vetted. So mining is not just only profitable if you're investing tons of money, but now with Compass, everyone can tap into those economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure about how to get started, Compass offers hardware and hosting bundles that eliminate the need for advanced technical knowledge and allow you to quickly get started mining Bitcoin with hardware you own. Visit them at compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. On to the show. Diverta, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Glad to be here. So Diverta, uh, I'm a fan of some of your work. I've been seeing you have been writing and making some material to help the Bitcoiners out there who are more interested in privacy, sovereignty, and just being a little bit more resilient. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, only the things you're comfortable to dox, that is. Sure. Um, I generally don't haven't told a whole lot of my um, quote unquote Bitcoin story just because it, it, it's almost corny, uh, the amount of the role that Bitcoin's played in, in my life. 
but the the truth is you know when you're growing up and you look at things and you're seeing things uh around you like in the the the, the government and the way things are run and the way that the money is spent and you see all these problems but whenever i was coming up and seeing all this stuff i i, I felt like there was no there was no path forward you know it's like i i, I can see the problems but i i, I don't know uh, what to do, what I can do about it. I felt you feel, you feel helpless almost. And so it, you know, it leads you down some bad paths. Sometimes, you know, you can kind of get lost and that's what ended up happening with me. I lost quite a few years of my life, uh, you know, just basically due to that feeling. And then to finally come back around and in the late 2016 uh, time is when I first when I first bought Bitcoin it was in 2016 had no idea what it was like <laughs> absolutely zero idea I just I thought it was a stock I thought it was a company you know I, I, literally I like I had zero I, I was just looking at charts you know uh, trying to make some money and 2017 came around bull run hits and I'm seeing this price go crazy of course I sold entirely too early because you know again I, I, I just thought it was a stock or something and as I saw this thing just go crazy it you know kind of dawned on me like there's there's no way that this is like everybody's just buying this just to make some money so i kind of started digging into it and you know the rest is is kind of history but all of this this stuff that we're going to be talking about today and the stuff that i like to write about it all ties in with that general feeling of uh, wanting to take more control of of your own life and the things around you and what you can control and you know, minimizing the things that are done to you, essentially. Excellent. And so was that part of your philosophy or the way you were thinking even before you got into Bitcoin? Or is this something that Bitcoin has also spurred within you? Uh, well, you know, I grew up in a, I guess, I guess you'd call it like a classical uh, liberal uh, sense, you know, uh, I guess you could describe my kind of political philosophy as a, uh, I just want to, I, I belong to the, I just want to grill party. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of just want to be left alone, you know, to do my thing. And that's kind of how I was grew up. And I, I went and did um, military service uh, in the United States. And that's what was really, when I came out from there, from what I've, my experience, a, a lot of people, you either come out extremely patriotic or quite disillusioned. Mine was uh, the latter. Uh, I was, I was quite disillusioned with things that a lot of the things that I thought were true, I discovered weren't true. And like I said, that's what kind of led me, you know, down a path of not knowing how to go forward uh, because it just didn't seem like anything was viable at the time. You know, what are you going to do? Go back to gold? You know, like it's not coming back. It's, you know, it's over. They're not going to give that back. So it always seemed like that was that barrier. So it was there, but it had kind of gone away, uh, you know, because like I said, I, I just it, I just didn't see how to do it. When I found Bitcoin, it really reinvigorated uh, my spirit of, of, you know, this can actually be done. You know, um, we actually have tools now that we can do some of the things that have been theorized for so long. So Diverta, I've seen you mention just recently, and even on Twitter as well, for some time, you've been using the phrase, use the tools. So for listeners out there, what does that mean? Yeah, that, that is copyrighted, by the way. I just went through this with, the, <laughs> with Bitcoin Q&A. Uh, you know, so I'll, be, I'll uh, send you an address to pay me later. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it is exactly what it sounds like. You know, it's these little catchphrases and stuff, uh, you know, of course, they're they're a little silly, and it's about branding or whatever. But it it really is a, a, a sort of a mantra, a mind, you know, a, a mindset. I'm not a very technical user. I'm not very technically savvy. I'm not. I just never have 
been into that sort of thing. So I never really did learn it. What I do know how to do is kind of get my, get my, get some dirt under my fingernails. You know, I, I just kind of get in there and use the tools. And when you do that, it really becomes crystal clear what you do need, what you don't need, uh, what's better for you and what's worth, you know, so all these questions that you can sit and think about and theorize and talk with people about all you want. A simple case of using the tools will solve a lot of those questions. Yeah, it reminds me of how people used to talk about, and I don't know whether you'll relate to this exactly or not, but I recall back when people used to talk about StarCraft on forums, they, there was this saying, they would say, oh, stop theory crafting, like actually do it in practice, right? You're just making up some strategy that you think kind of works, but like you need to just like get your hands dirty. And I think that's probably very much aligned with what you're saying. So in terms of tools, what sort of tools do you think people should be using? What kind of software or hardware are you looking at and uh, writing about nowadays? Right. The things that I'm most interested in are the things that are the easiest to use and that don't add a ton of friction uh, to the process. Uh, I'm kind of fond of saying that uh, convenience is actually the biggest enemy of privacy and security. Uh, not, it's, you know, it's not government agencies or spies or anything. It's, it's convenience. Uh, people will give up so much security and privacy for a little bit of convenience. So if you're going to use a tool, you know, again, it's one of those things where you can make the coolest thing in the world and it does all this neat stuff. Enough. But if you have to use command line to do it, you're eliminating a huge, huge part of your audience uh, and people that will actually get in there and use the tools. So I really like stuff that it is powerful enough that a power user can go in there and do what they want with it, but it also can be run in a way that it's easy enough that anybody can do it. Yeah. And as you are pointing out in the series as well, the article series Becoming Uncle Jim, it's also about how do you bring people along with you on that journey? Because your family and friends, you you know, we love them, we care about them, but they don't necessarily care about the same things we care about. So how do you approach that idea of trying to bring them down that pathway? Sure. And, and you know, again, it, it really comes back down to, to the convenience aspect of it. It's really hard to get people to use something different than what they're already using even if the tool you're proposing to them, it, I mean, it can be 10x uh, improvement. But if they don't really care uh, the way that you care, then they don't care. <laughs> you know? So uh, they're not, we can sit on here all day and, you know, we'll be on, on Twitter or Telegram or wherever and we'll we'll debate back and forth, uh, you know, the, the cryptographic security between Threema and Signal and which one's better and what should we do. Meanwhile, you know, the our friends and family are debating on whether or not they post this next thing to Facebook or Instagram. You know, <laughs> they don't, they, they don't care. They don't care. So it has to be something that doesn't like, you know, it doesn't add any friction. It needs to actually make us a, a, a difference uh, in the way they use things. That's why I just, one of the things that I threw out was uh, Bitwarden, you know, as a password manager, just something like that, that, that can actually add uh, to the convenience. So any tool like that, that you can find that rides that balance between being convenient enough to use, but also adds to your security and privacy. That's, that's, that's where I want to head. Yeah. So Bitwarden is a great example. I think there are some friends who I know who they just have, you know, very few passwords that they reuse across many different services and they have to memorize them. And obviously, a password manager can help with that. So just for people who don't know or if they're not familiar with using 
Bitwarden or password managers? What what are they? What how do they work? Sure, um, Bitwarden. I, I really like Bitwarden. It's a it's open source software. Essentially, what it does is it takes a lot of the the problem of passwords that we have around us. I mean, there there are so many passwords that the average person needs to remember. I mean, every service that you use, uh, you know, basically needs a password. And so what ends up happening um, the vast majority of the time is that people just use extremely weak passwords or the, the best case scenario usually is they may have one kind of hard password, but that's their one password. And so they're going to use this across every single site that they use, or at least three or four or five of them. So what Bitwarden and, and password managers in general do is they kind of take that away from you and um, they will uh, be able to generate you uh, a password that you can determine how how you know long, what kind of characters you want in it, whether it's a password or a passphrase, all this different stuff to where you can create really, really good, strong, secure passwords, but you don't have to remember them. They're being held in your password manager. So when you nav- navigate to a site, say, say you are going to Facebook, when you go onto Facebook and you go to log in, um, when you click on the, uh, the site, you'll get a little pop-up if you're on your phone or, you know, if you have an extension on, on your desktop and it's a one click um, and then it auto populates your username and your password for you. So now you've used a strong and secure password that you don't have to use anywhere else. And you've actually taken away um, some of the friction as opposed to adding it. Yeah. And it can be key. It can be difficult to get people over the line there, but I think if you can show them, Hey, this would actually make your experience a lot easier. And if you can explain that to them, and I'm sure there are probably listeners of the show who maybe they're just holding Bitcoin and they haven't kind of gone to that level next of, Oh, okay. Learning how to self custody. It's kind of like one of those steps where you just have to learn how to get started with it. And I think in this case with password managers and Bitwarden, it's about showing that person, hey, currently you're having to recall, you're having to remember that password and enter it multiple times. And have you ever noticed how there's those times when you want to sign it, you've logged into something on your desktop, but now you need it because you're out and about on your mobile. Well, now if you have Bitwarden, it can actually remember that for you and it can generate far more secure passwords than what you will be able to memorize exactly and and that was the reason why i kind of let off uh this series with a very very you know uh general article about bitwarden because i really do feel like uh, password managers are a very good uh like entry entryway they're a good first step for people because you know as you just said it it, it actually um, makes your experience more convenient. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to do any of that. And once you're able to pull it up, you know, on your device or whatever, and just show them, hey, look, and go go to whatever site you want to go to. You you see the little pop up that pops up. It's it's one click and boom, and it's all filled. And you've got a you know a 25, 30 character um, strong secure password that would take you know. If, uh, millions of years to crack, you know, with the current computing uh, software. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you can get this first step right here done, uh, I found it really kind of opens up the door for them to accept this next uh, recommendation. Yeah, so it's kind of like the gateway drug in your mind. Precisely, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is there's levels to all of these things, right? So. For example, Bitwarden has the default setup and you can also 
uh, do you know the next level up, which has premium, and then maybe you can add a YubiKey, which is adding another level of security. And then, then from a self-sovereignty point of view, you can also take that and now self-host your Bitwarden. So I know this is something you're big on. Uh, my buddy Katan, he's big on that also. So can you tell us a little bit about the different levels and how you can progress through them to become more, either more private or more secure or more self-sovereign? Sure. Um, and and Kitan, I'm a huge fan of, of the stuff that uh, he and, and you guys are, are both doing um, over there. It's, it's, it's important work. And um, he, he gives me a lot of goals to kind of shoot for as far as the self-hosting goes. He's he's taken it to, you know, whole other levels. Um, what I've kind of am shooting for here is, is I'm kind of trying to be, again, this, I, I'm trying to be the gateway drug to Catan. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm, good, I'm just going to give people a little taste and then, I, you know, maybe I can get you on down the road. Um, but yeah, just as you said, you know, you, you can, you can progress through Bitwarden, whether you want to use it for free, uh, which is completely adequate. It will do the job just fine. Um, if you use the app that, you know, if it's using Bitwarden's default servers, um, they use encryption, you know, uh, so they try to keep uh, your, your stuff as secure as possible on their servers. So that's a good thing. Um, but then, you know, you can add in additional hardware like the YubiKeys. You can just continue to level up and make um, cracking your passwords incrementally harder and incrementally harder. Um the one the the good thing that I really do like about Bitwarden is as you as you noted the ability to be uh, fully self hosted, um, so you uh, no longer have to trust uh, that their encryption is is working properly on their servers. Um, now Bitwarden is like I said it's an it's an open source open source uh, app, so it's good the source code's out there everybody can see it you can see what it does and what it doesn't do, uh, but still being able to um, host that service on a server that that you have control of um, that really um, makes it a lot easier especially if you're trying to remain um, more private as far as not having to worry quite so much about you know IP addresses where you're connecting from all those things like that fall into there uh, so it's it's a really it's a really excellent service I, I highly recommend it excellent and so now, at this point, as we're starting to get more technical, you might get some of the pushback from family and friends. So they might say, look, Deverta, I, I don't have anything to hide. What would you say to them? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the classic one, right? That's the one that, that, that we always get. Nothing to hide. First of all, the, the, the entire framing sets you up immediately to be on the defensive if you're the privacy advocate in here, because now suddenly you have to def- defend um, allowing people to hide. But privacy is not about hiding. Privacy is about having the ability to selectively reveal yourself. You get to decide what information is revealed and when that information is revealed. Now, somebody might argue that, you know, technically when you click on I accept on these, uh, you know, huge long terms and conditions and, and terms of service that these companies put out, that there's probably some fine print in there that says, yeah, you agree that, you know, you're giving over all of your data. Nobody reads that. They just want to use the service. So, of course, everybody clicks through, I agree. What are you going to just say no and now I can't use it? They, they, you know, so it's not about the, 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 the hiding part of it. It's about keeping what belongs to you 
belonging to you. You know, there's there's a reason that when we go to the bathroom, we shut the door behind us. Some things are not for public consumption, um, and your data is is certainly one of those things in today's day and age. Data has become the hottest commodity on the market. Um, so I, I really try to approach it that argument and and kind of twist it and turn it away from this uh, defense of hiding because it's really it doesn't need to be that. Yeah. And then there's also the aspect that laws can change. Things that were once legal and totally fine might now not be acceptable. And in this world, obviously in the Bitcoin case, the things that are on the blockchain are, you know, they're going to be around for forever or for hundreds of years or whatever. Uh, and some of these things, you never know uh, how much data they're sucking up and when that could come back to bite you years or decades down the line. It, it's so scary when you really sit down and think about it. When you, If you really start breaking down the amount of data that is probably out there about you and where that particular data resides. And then you think about the fact that these legislators and lawmakers can quite literally with a stroke of a pen, turn you into criminals overnight. And it, it, you know, it's, it's happened before. If you're in any sort of community where freedom or the, the individual's rights are, are, you know, emphasized in today's day and age, I, I think it would be very hard for anybody to argue that, that those individual rights and freedoms are, are under attack virtually from all angles. It's a full on assault right now. You know, S- Samurai Wallet, uh, it, fond of using the term that, you know, privacy is a human fight, not a human right. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, right now, the fight is on. Uh, now, whether or not you want to realize that you're in that fight, it's irrelevant to the other party, because they're just going to keep hitting you. They, they don't care if you know you're fighting or not, you're fighting. So it's just a matter of being able to properly defend oneself uh, against anything that might change unexpectedly or that might you know a hack a leak there's so much that could go wrong yeah and so then that brings us to this whole theme of being the digital sherpa for family and friends or this idea as our friend matt odell would say becoming uncle jim so this idea that you have you know you might run the infrastructure as the more technical person in your family or in your group of friends and then you've got your little you know, nieces and nephews who are piggybacking off the infrastructure that you run. So why is that the uh, setup in your mind? Right. Sh- short answer is, um, honestly, personal responsibility doesn't really scale, uh, to be quite honest. A-, a lot of people don't really want um, this responsibility because taking control of um, your own finances, like through Bitcoin, uh, taking control of your own data, if you're, whether you're hosting, you know, Bitwarden or a NextCloud or whatever you're going to do, what that requires is for you to actually take full responsibility for all of this stuff. There is no customer service that's that's coming to help you. Um, if somebody gets your Bitcoin keys and they steal your Bitcoin, it's gone. There is no FDIC. There, there's, there's none of that, and that's quite scary to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people just have no interest in accepting that level of responsibility. So what ends up happening is we 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 pawn that responsibility off onto these huge uh, big tech companies that you know they'll take care of everything for you and if you if you run into a problem they'll they'll do everything that they can to help you out with it. But the other side of that is is 
you are paying for that service. Whether or not it's free is irrelevant. You're paying for it either through your data. They're going to be pushing advertisements on you. Uh, they'll possibly even be scanning your data and, and looking for keywords and things that are in there, again, to try to push another advertisement on you. So we end up trusting these third parties. And, you know, as we're all quite aware, uh, the great Nick Zabo line, uh, you know, trusted third parties are security hosts. That still holds true for Uncle Jim. Your Uncle Jim is still a trusted third party. However, it's a trusted third party that you have a much more intimate relationship with that really um, is somebody that you care about, that cares about you, that you have a personal relationship with. And it's not somebody that's looking to monetize at any possible you know, chance that they have. Yeah. And so that's, I guess, taking it now to the being able to run your own infrastructure so many listeners of the show might themselves be Uncle Jim for their own family and friends. So what are some of the steps that they can take to get started on this journey, either for themselves or to help their family in terms of running infrastructure? Right. You know, virtually all of us, we either are the uh, quote unquote, the Bitcoin guy or the, you know, the tech guy uh, in our family and group of friends, uh, or we know the guy that is. and to become that person, it can take a whole lot of um, research and you have to really start understanding the networking and, and how things connect and where you leak data and where you don't. And it's, it's very, very intimidating. So again, what I'm trying to look for here are programs and, and applications, anything that can make this transition as easy as possible from going from allowing you know, uh, Facebook or Google or whoever to host all of your data for you to moving into a more self-sovereign go. That's it's got to be done as simply as possible. So I've become a huge fan of uh, it's and it's an operating system an application called Unohost. Y U N O host. Why you know host? <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> and I, I really really like the service. This is not really a service for the quote unquote power user. All right. Kitan is not using Unohost. I mean, he might, but he has no need for Unohost. Okay. He's fully able to, you know, spin up Docker containers and whatever he wants to do. Okay. And there may be some people out there listening that are able to do that for themselves right now. And that's great. And that's all good and fine. And, you know, if you want to spin up your own stuff, that's, you can do that. You can host plenty of good stuff like that. But I would say the majority of people would really benefit from having basically a one-click install to be able to start hosting all of this data and run different various applications without really having to learn a whole lot about uh, the networking side and a, a whole lot about how you know Docker works and all this different stuff. It's really kind of uh, done in the background. And there's a good GUI web application for it. It takes a lot of the work out of your hands and does the heavy lifting for you. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about how that works. What's the process of setting that up? And, uh, you know, what are some of the options? Like, are we talking VPS, virtual private server here? Or are we talking uh, on your own bare metal hardware, some hardware that you have in your home? What are some of the 
ways to think about you know that first decision of which pathway to go down uh yeah the self-hosting basically implies that you um own a server uh now the word owning right there can mean several different things it can mean that as you said you you have your own actual hardware and equipment uh, in your home it doesn't have to be uh, very specialized equipment uh, uh, you know raspberry pis or regular you know um x86 64 just regular computers uh, will work you can run things on uh, virtual machines and then there's the option of uh, the virtual private server where you are uh, self-hosting okay but the way that it works is the uh, server itself is partitioned off uh, and it's a virtual server that's partitioned away from everybody else's. So essentially, they cut out you. You cut out your own little corner uh, of this server, and it's yours. And you can install whatever operating system you want on it, and you can do all kinds of things. Now, why you would go with one over the other? One of the main things is depends on what you really want to do with this thing. Now, if you're going to host, like, take for example, uh, we have you know every now and then Twitter does something that puts everybody all up in arms, and we see a mass migration um, to Mastodon. Okay, so when you move over to Mastodon, say you sign up on you, you, what's the the big one, uh, BitcoinHackers.org, right? The one that's run by uh, Novak. Okay, so now what you've what you've really done is you've just shifted from you know Twitter hosting all your just to 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 Novak hosting it on the BitcoinHackers.org. You're able to host your own uh, Mastodon instance in a very very simple one click fashion. But what that also means is if you're gonna uh, open this up and have other people connect in, that's going to be a public-facing type of site. That's when you're going to get into a situation where like your IP address is going to be exposed. People are going to be able to possibly find out your actual physical location. You have to start learning a lot of the networking ins and outs. So that's when running it on your own hardware or at your house, it kind of becomes a, a little bit more difficult. So my very, very basic advice on on these sort of things is, if you're going to host like a password manager for yourself and your friends and family, even a Nextcloud for your for your friends and family, then that's completely and totally fine. There's nothing wrong with you hosting that on your own hardware. It's not going to be exposed to the public. Uh, you know, other people aren't going to be signing into it. It's not going to be a target for hacks. And anything that is on that other end, like a Mastodon or anything that you're going to let just anybody use, like a Cirex search engine, something like that, that's when the easiest and the quickest way to get it done is going to be using uh, a VPS or a virtual private server. Yeah. And I think there might also be some interesting considerations there for people who are traveling. So there are some you know people out there who are more Bitcoin nomads, let's say. And in that kind of use case, they may actually need a VPS because they may not have a permanent location. And so that's probably one other consideration. But I think for most people who've just got a dedicated you know home, then that's where having just a dedicated box at home might make sense for them. Sure, absolutely. And yet you're, you're exactly right. Be, any situation where you're going to be moving around a lot, you know, all that stuff, the, using a VPS gives you a really good chance at having a good uptime. So it's one of those things where you can go which, where you want, do what you want to do, and it's essentially just going to sit there and run. And it's not going to eat up a lot of your um, computer space and your storage and all that stuff. But uh, a Raspberry Pi sitting at your house, it, it will do the job just fine of hosting your password manager, your Nextcloud, all that stuff can be done uh, way cheaper than what I think most people believe. Yeah. So 
out of, you know, just to give some context for listeners, roughly how much would that cost be to set up the Raspberry Pi at home? Uh, I mean, if you're going to really the, the, the cost is in, you know, just the hardware and the storage. But it, so you're look, you're probably looking if you're going to go with an SSD and SD card and stuff, even if you go kind of high end, you're still, you know, looking at a very, you know, $150, $200 maybe. I mean, you could get stretch it up probably into the threes and fours, but you could probably also get it down to as cheap as like maybe 75 or even 100 because you don't really need that much storage um, as far as like your SSD storage. That's where a lot of your price is going to come in. So, you know, it, getting uh, an SSD storage, like for example, on the uh, on the Unihost. So some of the things on the Raspberry Pi, um, what you need to have on it, like what you must have, is uh, 16 gigabytes uh, on on micro SD card. Okay, and so that's it. you don't need to go out and splurge for a one terabyte SSD uh, necessarily. Now, if you're going to host a ton of data on a Nextcloud or something, then okay, maybe. But for the for the majority of people, you can you can probably get by for you know I would call it maybe a hundred hundred fifty dollars at the most. Back to the show after a message for the sponsors. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi signature. So if you are sitting on a single signature hardware wallet or you've left your coins on the exchange. Think about signing up with Unchained. You can create a vault and it has no setup or storage fees if you build it on your own. On the other hand, if you want some help with that, they offer a concierge service, both for personal context and in a business context, where they will ship you some hardware wallets, answer your questions, deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault, and you get $50 off by using the code LAVERA. Unchained Capital also offer loans so you can unlock some of the value of your coins. Check out my recent episode 263 with Parker Lewis from the team. Go to unchained.com to find out more. CypherSafe.io are producing metal backup seed products like the Cypher Wheel. So have you thought about your Bitcoin backups and have you tested them recently? What would happen if your house went up on fire? Consider these points around making sure your backups are fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident. The cipher wheel comes in a wheel shape, and you get some tiles. You slide them in, four tiles for each word, and there's also a padlock tamper evident seal, so you know if it has been opened. So make sure you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. Go to cyphersafe.io and use the code LAVERA for 10% off. And finally, Cold Card by CoinKite.com. Coldcard is my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, and you want to use the device that is specially locked down and made more secure against all sorts of attacks, and that's why we use hardware wallets. So if you are sitting on the exchange and you need to move to a hardware wallet, the cold card is a great choice because you can use it as part of a single signature setup or you can use it as part of a multi-signature setup when you're ready to take that step. The cold card can be used air-gapped so you can shuttle that wallet over using micro SD card into wallets like Spectre or Sparrow or Electrum or Blue Wallet. It has a range of features like an address explorer so you can verify your receive address also. Go to coinkite.com and use the code LAVERA to order yours. Back to the show. Yeah, so uh, certainly not an expensive commitment to just buy the parts and just give that a try. So, Deverto, how does it work then if you want to do the setup? So let's say you want to use the YU No Host and you want to set up, let's say, a Raspberry Pi or maybe you've just got an old box sitting around at home that you want to have that as your little personal server. What does it look like setting that up with, you know, VirtualBox and so on? 
Sure. Um, many different ways you can do it. The good thing is the documentation on uh, uh, you know host. It's it's y u n o h o s t dot org. You know host dot org, um, and the the instructions and the installation guides and stuff. They're they're extremely simple because it's an extremely simple program to run. So if you get a um, a, a Raspberry Pi that you that you've got that you're going to be able to run, essentially all you're going to do is you're going to download the actual you know host image. It, it is. It is basically an operating system. Okay, Unihost is its own operating system. So once you install it, it's that's you're going to be running Unihost as opposed to say you know I'm running Ubuntu or I'm running Debian. You're running Unihost. So you download this image and you flash it on uh, the micro SD card. Once you do that and you power up the board, essentially all you're really going to need to do, if you have a screen that's connected to it, you can do all this with a, a, a web application through localhost. Uh, you can just visit uh, unihost.local on uh, your hardware and it will pull up a nice uh, GUI that you can work through. Or you can just SSH in if you don't have uh, a monitor or anything. And there's just a very few extremely simple commands. It walks you through. What you need is a domain name. It, it helps if you have your own domain name that you've purchased, just because that gives you more control over the uh, the DNS record configuration. So you can do more with how that's configured. But it's not absolutely necessary because Unihost does provide default domain names that you can use to just spin it up without really having to have anything. But it's just, it's really really easy to follow. Uh, a couple little commands. You install the program. You create yourself as a user, and then you go through and pull up the application catalog. And there's an extensive list of apps that you basically one click install from that point. Cool. So basically, the setup then is it's in some ways it's similar to like setting up the MyNode or an Umbral. Like you're flashing this to a SD card and you're very you know, similar booting it up, and it then spins up its own little personal server or your personal server. And you can then SSH into that. So if you're on Linux, you just fire up a terminal and you're SSH using that IP. Or if you're on Windows, you're using something like Putty. And then you mentioned the aspect around the domain names as well. So that's where you might have a custom domain name that you've purchased that you want to use that. And then that way your friends can in their Bitwarden, for example, they can point that to your instance. Exactly. And uh, like I said, it, it helps because you can you can configure your DNS records, which basically just uh, allows you to kind of prove that you own the site. Um, it kind of configure how email works, uh, whether you're going to be sending out emails and stuff from this site. So if you have you purchase your own domain name, like from a place like Namecheap, for example, you can use Bitcoin to do that. OK, if you're looking to stay uh, more pseudonymous, they do ask you for. Uh, information to fill out for the registration for the domain name, but honestly, it's it's kind of up to you um, how accurate uh, you'd like that information <laughs> to be. <laughs> now yeah. you, you know you you can run into problems if something were to happen and you were to need for some reason to prove ownership of the, that domain. Of course, you can't really do that, so you're just kind of going to lose your money there. Uh, again, that's a that's a niche case. The vast majority of the time, you can basically put in what you want to put in, buy your domain, use Bitcoin. Um, you can kind of keep yourself uh, more private, spin up this Unihost, configure your DNS records. It's all, it's all ex extremely simple. It's very linear, easy to follow. And before you know it, you'll be hosting your own stuff. 
Very cool. And uh, so we've mentioned Nextcloud, but just for listeners who are not familiar, what is Nextcloud? Um, Nextcloud is uh, a storage in the same vein as like a Google Drive or a OneDrive. So it's that place where, say you go on vacation uh, or wherever you go and you take a bunch of pictures or, you know, you, some family members you haven't seen in a long time. Some of this stuff is is extremely important to us. It holds, you know, essentially priceless value. It's a sentimental value you can't really put a price on. So if you only have uh, those pictures of that data stored locally or it's only on your phone, um, then if anything happens uh, to that phone or to that information, it, it, it's gone and there is no getting it back. So what uh, Google Drive and those companies do is they, they uh, offer that uh, hosting of your files and stuff for you. You upload stuff to Google Drive. Now, if your phone gets lost or stolen or whatever the case may be, you can always go into Google Drive or OneDrive or whatever and access that file and, and re-download it locally. Well, what Nextcloud does is it provides uh, that same service and a bunch of other things if, if, if you would like. It, it's quite a powerful uh, application, but it provides that and it takes that data and that information out of the hands uh, of these big tech companies that, you know, when they get it, it's, it's very likely that some of this information is tried to use to manipulate advertisements your way at the very least, um, if not more nefarious things. So you take that power out of their hands and you put it into your own hands. That way, anything that you want to keep uh, in case you're going to lose it or that has extreme uh, amounts of value to it, you can configure your device to automatically upload to Nextcloud whenever you snap a picture, for example, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And um, just with the with the Nextcloud, is there a way to do it through Tor or is this all not through Tor? Uh, basically... I would imagine mostly all this. Stuff. I haven't actually tried myself to do Nextcloud through Tor, but I'm quite sure that there, there there wouldn't be that much problem with it. The reason that I haven't really focused on Tor, even though, you know, obviously if you're in, in any sort of the privacy uh, game, Tor is, is kind of a big deal. It's pretty ubiquitous. The reason that I've kind of stayed away from Tor, um, which does help quite a bit with hosting stuff because you don't have to worry so much about your IP address and different things like that. There's the, the encryption is automatic. All that stuff is, is really good, but it's still quite scary for people, <laughs> okay? And it's, it's, yeah. it's still quite scary for your friends and family to, to, to access uh, an onion site. And so I, 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 I've stayed away from it, but I would imagine the answer is probably yes. You, probably, you, you should be able to spin one up. Got it. And also, it's not just the photos, but also applications. So as an example, you might want to collaborate on them with a document, and that's where Nextcloud can also come in too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, anything, you know, just as an example, um, I migrated a couple of my phones. I installed uh, a Calyx operating system on uh, this Google Pixel that I was uh, formerly running Copperhead on. And uh, what Nextcloud enabled me to do was back up uh, all that data from all of my applications. And whenever I got the Calyx OS operating system running, I was able to just access those backup files from my Nextcloud, and it made migrating all that data to my new phone extremely simple. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and so then you've also got uh, this idea of searching and having that being done like that that sounds like it would be like another whole level of um self-hosting and self-sovereignty 
why go I, down this pathway? I mean, it, it you know, on on his face, sure, you know, uh, it, and you know, most people you don't really think about typing things into a search engine. I mean, it's, you're just searching for words. What's the you know, what's the big deal? But the fact of the matter is, is this the the terms that you search for reveal quite a bit about you. People generally, uh, when you're, you know, when you're in your own home and you're sitting behind this computer screen and there's nobody else around you, that's the times when you can search some of the things that you really want to search. <laughs> you know, huh. never mind what you tell your friends and family or whatever. This is when real you comes out, and these big tech companies they know that as well. All right, regardless of what you might say on Twitter or anywhere else. They know what you really search for whenever nobody else, you think nobody else is looking, but there's somebody else looking. Um, if Google search engine, uh, it accounts for over 92% of all search requests. All right. That is a massive, massive uh, monopoly on that amount of data. Okay. It is, it is outrageous. So what that opens up is the ability essentially for Google to determine what you get to see and what you don't. Um, they can censor your search, search results. Um, they can feed you what they think you really wanted to search, not what you actually searched. All that stuff comes into play. And what a, what a, a search engine like Cirex, which is what I uh, talked about in uh, searching for Uncle Jim, what Cirex does is it's basically just, it's a search engine aggregator. So it takes all the various different search engines like Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, all these other different various search engines, and it pulls from each one of those, and you can configure which one it pulls from. But what that does is it allows for you to still be able to see uh, the same quality uh, search results as you do when you're searching from a Google. But the difference is Google is not able to scrape that data from you because that search results, all the stuff that uh, to do with Cirix is stored locally on your device. So it's just another another way to take your data and, uh, you know, the things that that these big tech companies know about you out of their hands and back into yours. Yeah, that's a really cool, very powerful sounding thing there. And it also strikes me that we are living in this world where there's just all this crazy amount of data out there on all of us. And you never know what two pieces of info someone can just find and then tie it together to de-anonymize or find something out about you that maybe you didn't even know about yourself or your own family. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? uh, yeah. And there's that famous example. I think it's now a couple of years old, maybe eight, seven or eight years old. I think it was Target or one of those US retailers. They had done some data analytics work and basically they had sent this father you know, some marketing material in relation to like a pregnancy in the family. And he, it was like, literally they had figured out that his daughter was pregnant. His teenage daughter was pregnant without him even knowing, you know, this is kind of the scary stuff that's possible. It's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, a lot of the, the argument back, you know, people want to talk about, uh, uh, quote unquote, anonymized data. Okay. Um, the problem with anonymized data is it inevitably leaves just enough broad, uh, breadcrumbs uh, to de-anonymize uh, all that data. What I wrote about in, in one of the pieces was one of the famous examples where uh, AOL, which is back in like 2006, they had, you know, when they were doing a whole lot of searches and were responsible for a lot of results, there were over uh, 20 million um, supposedly anonymized uh, search requests. They revealed this data to the world uh, essentially as like an educational thing, you know, for research purposes and stuff like that. Well, what ended up happening is the the New York Times um, got this data and they started really scrutinizing it. And they were actually able to track down 
one individual woman uh, off of this completely supposedly anonymized data and they literally walked up to her and asked her if these were her search results and they were um and it, it, it's it's because they were able to just go off of what she searched you know she searched for landscapers in Lilburn, Georgia, or wherever she's from, okay? And then she searched for some people with her same last name, and then she searched for a subdivision right next to her, and then she starts. so it just, all this stuff snowballs, and it builds up this entire file or folder uh, on you, and basically, Google knows you better than anyone else, which is a scary thought. Yeah, very concerning, and there are also, from a financial point of view, as I understand, I'm, I'm not in the US, but I, I know apps like Venmo are quite popular and it's like I don't know if this is still a thing but some of that data is like still public so people can like see what they're paying each other for and stuff it's just like really crazy when you think about it it really is absolutely and you know that's one of the other things that often you'll run into in I guess privacy arguments Uh, you hit the the uh, I have nothing to hide wall and then uh, the other one that you run into quite often is well there's already so much out there about me I mean there's really no point in trying now which I I can't urge strongly enough against that uh, type of uh, it's just a defeatist mentality you know again it, you, it really is a, a fight. This thing is all of this privacy and your security around yourself and your loved ones. It's a fight for the most important things in your life. And to give companies, especially in this day and age where these large big tech companies are really starting to accelerate on the censorship, on the narrative pushing, on the twisting of words and stories and all this stuff is culminating right now. And it's very, very important that as many people as possible are able to defend themselves. I mean, th- there's just no better way really in today's digital uh, world to defend yourself than to pick up these type of tools to take your own digital life back into your own hand. Yeah. And also on that theme of people who are being a bit defeatist, about their privacy or their sovereignty, I think it's also worthwhile remembering that after time, information does go stale. So if some bank or if you know Google and Apple and so on, they've got some information on you, but if you're able to start that process, at least take steps to improve your situation, that old information will go stale after a while. Absolutely. And, you know, each step matters. You know, each step really does matter. And even if it's a small one, take baby steps. That's totally fine. That's that's basically what what Unihost is. I mean, it's a it's it's a it enables you to be able to to take baby steps towards self-hosting, which is what I really, really like about it. And it does that without you having to spend a whole lot of money. And it does that without you having to spend a whole lot of time and effort to really learn all the intricacies of this stuff. Yeah. And in terms of other services or other software, what other things are you looking at that people should know about and just be thinking about using for their own journey of privacy and self-sovereignty? There's a ton of ton of good stuff uh, that you can host. It it really is is uh, kind of an individual thing. More of you know what are you into? You know what do you actually do? Um, one of the things that you know while while we're just on this topic anyway is uh, you know two factor authentication. It's not so much dealing with self hosting, uh, but two factor authentication being able to uh, enable that anywhere that you can um, and use one of the time based services, not SMS. Uh, that's a really important step to kind of uh, up in 
your security um, game, which if you know security and privacy, they're they're inexorably they're tied together. Um, but you know you can do anything from um, like uh, you can run a service uh, like Invoice Ninja. You know, if you run a small business or you're selling some things out of your own home or whatever, you can set up your own self-hosted invoice ninja, which allows you to create invoices, to do repeat billing, all the stuff that you would need to do from a small business standpoint, you can take care of there. Um, you can set up uh, docu wikis or, you know, things where you can take really, really detailed uh, notes if that's what you need to do. Or you can even host something as simple as a, a paste bin. You know, a paste bin can come in really handy when um, you need to jot down some notes, and, but you don't you don't have anywhere necessarily to write it down. Or, you know, what are we going to go to like Google Notes? Uh, uh, you know, again, this is just one of those services where you can just take one more service out of the hands of a company like Google. Um, so I, I would really encourage everybody uh, to visit uh, Unohost, uh, Unohost.org and look at the applications that are readily available there. Like I said, they're, they're literally one-click installs once you get it up and running. And they run the gamut from you know Internet of Things and taking care of home automations, dimming lights and things of that nature, uh, to writing a blog, whatever you want to do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So if running our own Bitcoin node and, you know, whether that is, I mean, there's so many now. You've got Umbral, you've got MyNode, Ronin Dojo, Raspberry Blitz, others. I think Embassy, the Start9 Embassy, that's like in the Bitcoin sense. And then now in the, you know, not necessarily Bitcoin sense, there are other examples of things that you can do and you can run. So, you know, host, I think um, the Embassy one is probably another example there where the Embassy, um, the Start9 Embassy device also enables people to run their own services and their own things. And I think they've got Nextcloud on there as well. So I think those are a few directions people can look at. Um, have you got any other tips for people who are out there trying to learn about this stuff? Um, the main tip that I have for for anybody that's you know, dipping their toes into this area is the KISS theory will go a long way. You know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, Don't attempt to overcomplicate things. What I've seen or noticed is a lot of times even the more uh, or sometimes even especially uh, the more uh, advanced technical users what can end up happening very easily if you're not careful is you get so caught up in the quote-unquote coolness of a thing and you know whether or not I wonder if I can do this I wonder if I can put it on tour and then put it behind this other thing I wonder if I and so you end up going down all these basically unnecessary rabbit holes and it can really lead to you forgetting to do the thing that you set out to do. Now I'm not even hosting my own thing. <laughs> I'm just seeing if I could spin up websites on tour. And so simplicity is is key. Uh, you mentioned the Start9 guys. I, I personally haven't had any experience with the embassy of just looking at at the device and seeing all the stuff that they offer, hearing some of the feedback from some of the people that have used it. It looks very, very interesting, uh, similar to the Unihost type thing where it's uh, it's essentially just plug and play. You download, you you plug it in, and you take off. Um, so there's a lot of different a lot of different programs that are coming out right now, and there's more of a push towards getting people off of these big tech platforms. As we see more and more every day, another story comes out about the way that they're uh, tending to put their thumb on the scales uh, socially. Uh, more and more. So I would advise everybody, first of all, do it, uh, get out there, use the tools, 
don't have uh, paralysis, uh, analysis paralysis, you know, don't get so caught up in worrying, oh, I don't know enough, I'll never get it, I don't know. Just dig your hands in, get your, get a little dirt under your fingernails. It might be much easier than you think. And once you find that it is a lot easier, keep it that way. Fantastic. So, Diverta, before we let you go, where can people find you online? Um, I'm, some, I'm hanging around on Twitter uh, every now and then. I'm at uh, Diverter underscore no KYC. You can find me on Telegram. I'm generally hanging around in the, the samurai rooms, the samurai chat rooms, and some of the other places. You can actually catch, catch me in a couple of weeks. The uh, Guns and Bitcoin Conference, uh, Bear Arms and Bitcoin 2021, is uh, in Austin, Texas on April 10th and 11th. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Uh, we've got a lot of cool, uh, Samurai Wallet is uh, one of the sponsors for that place. We've got a lot of cool Bitcoiners and a lot of members from the 3D gun community are going to be meeting up in Austin, Texas and seeing what kind of trouble we can get into. Uh, so you can catch me there if you want, buy a ticket. And yeah, just know that if you if you want any help with anything, if you need any help with uh, you know this one more little nudge to get it, you know, well, maybe I can do it. You can. And my DMs are open. All I will say is don't DM me asking me about, you know, the double HTTPS ratchet encryption. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you, install Unihost and give it a try. Excellent. Thank you, Devetta, for joining me. Thank you, man. It's been, been a pleasure. I hope you found that discussion educational and perhaps you are now feeling a bit more inspired to go and take those steps to build out your own self-sovereignty approach and to help either yourself or your family and friends. So get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 265. Make sure you share the show with your family and friends so they can also learn about Bitcoin and these associated concepts. And I will see you guys in the Citadels. (laughs) 